Welcome to the Diversity and Fellowship Podcast, where we discuss how the gospel brings us together and keeps us together. We are your hosts, Kenny King. And I'm William Marshall, and we want to encourage Christians to think through how our lives and our churches can be a faithful display of how the power of the gospel unites us in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diversity in Fellowship podcast. We are still celebrating Women's History Month, and today we have with us a special guest. Special. The specialist guest. Absolutely. Most special. Is that how you say that? Very special guest. Your better half, like far superior half. Far superior half, yes. Right. Uh, Glitter Marshall is with us. She is married to my brother William here. Um, she lives in Sykeston, of course, with him. And yes, they have, good. <laughs> have two boys, Isaiah and Ian. She is actually an author, a famous author, one of my mm. favoritist, favoritist. Favorite man we are. That the, yeah, that's good. That's not right. Most, Most favorite. Yes. Right. There you go. Most favorite authors. She's the author of The Promise Is His Presence, Why God Is Always Enough. And most recent book is Everyday Faithfulness, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance. And In a Demanding World. You can connect with her at glittermarshall.com. And we'll put that in the podcast notes where she blogs and yes, does all yes. types of other wonderful things. Yes, good stuff. Uh, so we are going to talk with Glenna today. So Glenna, can you um, tell us what has been going on with you lately during the pandemic, um, everything else going on in life? What have you been up to? Well, I I feel like first maybe we should start with a little grammar lesson on how to use superlatives. Mm, no. <laughs> uh, we're uh, pastors. Right. And you have no use for the English language. <laughs> that's right. We, we make it up as we go. That's that's, that's our right. privilege. Well, that's how words get invented. You just say them enough and people believe you. Yes. Um, yes. So what have we been doing in the pandemic? Well, um, like everybody, it's, you know, trying to live life largely at home. And I would say now that it's been about a year, um, the kids have been home a lot. Then they've been back at school. They've come home. They've been back at school. Um, We've done some virtual learning, which is not my favorite thing in the world. I've discovered, nor is it William's favorite thing. Mm, mm. And... um, but I have been uh, writing as much as I can um, with kids home, with kids not at home. I actually just uh, finished up some devotions for Crossway that are coming out in a like a collaborative devotional book, I think later this year. So that was fun to work on. They just assigned me some scripture passages and said, write on these, which is great. It's a great job. I really love, love that. Um, Otherwise, just uh, doing the mom thing and the pastor's wife thing. And I mean, that's all, you know, taking a little bit different shape in the last year. But I feel like at least for right now and where we are in our part of the country, life has resumed a little bit more normalcy. Okay, so I, I know the, you know, it's always weird interviewing your wife, but I, I kind of I know the answer to this question. But so for our listeners... Uh, we'll kind of dive into, um, we, we want to talk with Glenna uh, in light of 
it being March and Women's History Month. But uh, we also want to talk about kind of the uh, diversity issue because um, Glenna is a white mom with kids of color, uh, to kids of color. And so uh, we want to kind of dive into that. Um, So Glenna, uh, for our listeners, uh, what what made you consider adoption and why did you pursue multiracial adoption? Yeah, so, well, adoption itself is part of my family's just DNA, I guess you could say. My dad was adopted as an infant, and um, so, like, the thought of adoption is very normal to me. Uh, just growing up, I mean, my dad knew he was adopted, we knew he was adopted, but my grandparents are my grandparents, you know? And so, right. I think even before you know, we got married, I had thought about adoption as a possible way to grow our family. But then, um, you know, shortly after William and I got married, we found out we were not going to be able to have children biologically. And, you know, I had to grieve that loss uh, for quite a long time. And I still at times grieve that loss a little bit. Not so much that I feel like I missed out on motherhood because I am a mom, but I miss sharing you know, maybe the, those first nine months with our boys, you know, hmm. um, I wish I could have known them during that time. But that's, you know, that's not the story God wrote for our family. And rather he grew our family through adoption. And I remember when we were first probably trying to have kids, there was a couple in our church at the time, back when we lived in Tennessee, who were going through the adoption process and they brought home a little girl and the couple was white and the daughter was black. And I remember the wife saying to me, if you guys, you know, end up going down the path of adoption, I so hope that you consider adopting across racial lines. And I remember thinking, that's weird. Um, I don't know that I can picture my family like that. I mean, I wasn't necessarily like a opposed. I just had not considered it. Um, and then, you know, years later, five, six years later, when we actually did begin the adoption process and William and I had to mark on a form, what races are you open to? And we could not think of one biblical reason to say no to any race. They're just, we could not do it. And so we left them all blank, said we're, we're open to every, every child and of any race, of any ethnicity, of any combination of ethnicities. And I mean, that was a different thing when you have pictured your family. I mean, especially as a woman, I pictured, you know, getting married and getting pregnant and having babies and, you know, two boys, two girls. And you just kind of have a picture of what your life is going to be like. And you picture kids that will look like you. So it was a very strange thing to then be faced with a form that says, okay, tell us, what do you think that picture is going to look like? What could it look like? What are you open to it looking like? And when we filled it out, I mean, I just remember us talking about it and it felt strange to say, okay, we're going to take whatever kid they send us. <laughs> and, um, you know, now 13 years later, I'm so thankful that we had to come face to face with that question because there was no biblical reason for us to say no to any child. And so, um, so I'm glad that we had to answer that question really head on. And then of course, when we were chosen by our oldest son's biological parents and then met them in person, um, it just didn't seem like it mattered anymore. You know, it was just, 
we, here's a child who needs a family and we want to be that family. And that was really all that mattered at that point. And so um, I think that perhaps just being desperate to be a mom is what led me specifically down the path to adoption. But I mean, once you get going down the path, you, you have to wrestle with a lot of questions and um, there was just no reason to say no. Amen. So we have Isaiah and Ian now, two, two great um, young men, energetic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> lots of energy. Lots especially of energy for the going on around there. So, so tell us, Glenna, what has it been like being a white mom to kids of color? And what have been your biggest challenges? Yeah, um, in the beginning, when Isaiah was little, I was self-conscious all the time. If I was at Walmart and I, I was, I just always felt like everyone was looking at me um, because I am very white <laughs> and Isaiah is very black. And so when you just see a white woman with a black child, I mean, you just attract attention, you know, like people are looking at you all the time. And um, I had different situations where I'd bump into women of color in the hair care aisle and would get some lessons that I didn't ask for, you know, mm. um, sometimes would get some criticism um, that I shouldn't have a black child, um, really from both white and black folks. And so, you know, there was some of that in the beginning that made me feel a little insecure, but uh, having, you know, kind of grown into motherhood and being a lot older now, I don't feel as insecure about that anymore um, because my boys are my boys and I love them and, um, you know, I'm their mom. But I think one of the biggest challenges was when our oldest child was five, six years old, he really began to notice that he was like, as he would say, I'm the only brown kid here, or I'm the only brown kid at church. I'm the only brown kid in our family. Like, um, I remember specifically when he was about six years old, I was uh, teaching a lot of music lessons at the time and I'd had a big recital and all my students were white. Um, and he, I had this big recital and all their families were there. When we got home, Isaiah said, I was the only brown kid, the only brown person in that whole room. And he almost said it like in an accusatory way, which he didn't really mean, but it was like, why, why, why is that? And then um, we had family, our family Christmas, we traveled and saw all our extended family. And he asked me the same question, like, why am I the only brown person in our family? And then, I mean, shortly after that, we had a church service, we went to church and uh, or actually we were getting ready to go to church one morning and I was in the bathroom, like doing makeup and stuff. And Isaiah is six years old in the bathroom and says, um, I don't want to go to church mom, because I'm the only Brown person there. And I just, I don't want to. And he started crying. And of course I started crying. And I mean, this was my nightmare as an adoptive mom, you know, adopting across racial lines. I thought, this is the exact thing that they warned us about in our adoption training classes. Mm. You cannot raise a black child in a completely whitewashed world. And so, I mean, representation does matter. And um, I remember sitting in the bathroom with him and I like sat down and pulled him into my lap and he's crying. And I 
I distinctly remember I had been reading in the book of Isaiah actually for Bible study and had just read the chapter on the suffering servant and was able to tell Isaiah not like, well, you shouldn't feel this way, but I'm really sorry you feel this way. This is really hurtful. And, you know, Jesus, um, he carries not just our sins, but he carried our sorrows on the cross and he knows what it's like to hurt and feel alone. And in that moment, that was really all I could say to him. I wasn't sure what else to say, just to, just to offer some comfort. It was okay that he hurt over this. And I told him, you know, we are going to start specifically praying that the Lord will bring more friends of color into our life. And in my head, I'm thinking, I don't really know how to go about doing this exactly. Um, <clears throat> so I, I just prayed with him right there in the bathroom and then talked to William about it. And we both started um, praying like, okay, how, how do we make his world more colorful and not so whitewashed? And um I think it was about that time that I started taking him to the black barbershop, which I've never felt stranger as a white woman walking into a barbershop full of black men. Um, but I remember Isaiah would sort of relax a little when we would go in because he was not the minority anymore. And I remember thinking there is something, you know, to this, we've got to have more of this in his life. And, um, we were praying regularly for black friends and a couple months later, a young single mom and her son, who's Isaiah's age started attending church mm. and we became friends. And, um, I remember telling her, you are here because I prayed you here. <laughs> So I'm, I don't really know what your reasons are for being here, but my reasons for you being here, because the Lord brought you here specifically in answer to our prayers. And, um, so I, you know, I think that whole like finding racial mirrors was one of the hardest things for Isaiah in, in raising Isaiah. Um, now that we're in a different church setting, and I know we're going to talk about that in a minute. I mean, you know, I feel like so many of those fears of mine, I, I just don't fear them anymore. I'm really thankful. But in the beginning, it was really hard. And I do see other white adoptive families raising kids of color in a very white world. And I, I do worry um, just because I know how hard it was for Isaiah, how isolated he felt. Right. So uh, how let, let's go into the church question then, because you, you mentioned it, you brought it up. And um, how, how has the merge kind of impacted you being, being you know, in a, in a diverse church that's specifically going after diversity? How has the merge impacted you as a multiracial mother? Yeah, um, I think I mentioned this to you when we were walking yesterday. Um, <laughs> are, we, are we sharing our private conversations on the podcast right. now? Is that what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I told you, I said, you know, I just being in a church that is racially diverse, having our boys growing up around people who are white and people who are black and all being Christians who love Jesus and are following him. Um, I, I'm so relieved that our kids are growing up in an environment where there are black Christian men who can model faithfulness to Christ to them, um, that Christianity is not just for white people in the church, you know, and that they're, when they think of like men that they look up to, that they want to emulate as they grow up, then there are white men and black men on that list mm. who love Jesus and are following him. 
Uh, I feel that the boys have no end to racial mirrors now. They go to church and people look like them. And that I, I know that some Christians will say, well, that shouldn't matter, you know, because we're all one in Christ and we are all one in Christ. But the truth of the matter is that we do look different mm-hmm. and we we all gravitate towards people who look like us, but if you're the minority and you're always the only minority, then you always feel isolated and on the outside, which is how Isaiah felt. And right. so, um, so I, I love going to church and our kids play with black kids, white kids, kids of, uh, like who are biracial. And, um, I think of the way that I grew up and how white the world was that I lived in just because of the time and place and nature of my family. Um, and I just think how different our kids' lives are growing up in the church that they're in now, Mm. that it really does give a better picture of like what heaven will be like. Amen. Amen. All right. So, so we have the merge, um, you've been blessed um, to get to know me, um, basically, it's what I heard. Come on, man. Um, right? That's what you heard? Wait, oh, such humility. My name? Right? Such humility. Yes. Such humility. Um, Could you give Kenny some advice on how to be humble in his life? Because that's what we're really here for. <laughs> I want to hear more of those private conversations, though, with, um, oh. with William. I did want you to tell the, the story. I think the story about uh, where we went, We uh, this was before the merge, and I was preaching at another church, and some oh. of our people went with us. You remember, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Share, yes, share I do. That story. That's a great story. Okay, yeah. This is one of those stories that every time I tell it, I still can't believe it happened. I know. Um, so we were doing like a service swap, actually, with another pastor in town. Not Kenny. <laughs> so, not yet. Yeah, um, right. I, not yet. Isaiah was an infant, and I'm talking like eight weeks old, um, and we were doing a swap. So our church went to this other church, but William was the one actually preaching in their pulpit. And because he was preaching, he didn't like have a, a seat, like a place to sit. He was up in the front and I had this brand new baby. So I stood in the back, just holding the baby while he preached. And then afterwards there was like a fellowship time with snacks and stuff. And one of the members of that other church, kind of an older white man, was standing with one of our members who was also a white man. And the guy from the other church pointed at me across the room, holding my baby and said, Oh, I can't believe what I'm going to say. He said, isn't that a shame? That white woman with that black baby and um, shaking his head, you know, and uh, the other church member, our church member, his name is Andy said, well, that's my pastor's wife. (laughs) (laughs) And they just adopted that baby. And um, the, the other church guy was like, you know, totally trying to get his foot out of his mouth. Oh, oh, well, that's great. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. But I just remember after Andy told us that, I mean, that's not the only time that's ever happened to me, but um, I still, you know, it's, it's still so surprising to me that people in the church can be so hateful towards um, someone, something that looks different, someone that looks different. Yeah. Just, 
Wow. Yeah. I don't think it makes me laugh now, but I don't ever want Isaiah to hear that story. You know, like that story. I had never heard that story. That's a crazy. Yeah, that is a. That's my pastor's wife. (laughs) That's a crazy (laughs) story. I'm Love glad. I'm glad Andy. it wasn't our church. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh no. Wow. Uh, All right. So, uh, Glenda, what advice would you give to women seeking more diversity in their life? Oh, such a loaded question. Um, I mean, we we do always sort of gravitate towards people who are most like us, and so. I think, and I know you guys have talked about this on the podcast because I am your most faithful listener, but um, I'll give you five stars later. Um, No, I I think you have to be intentional to live your life outside of your regular circles. And so when Isaiah was little, sometimes that looked like going to you know, the library for story hour where I might meet moms like outside of my church or my regular circle of friends or me going into the barber shop and trying to establish some relationships or, um, I mean, one of the reasons that we sought the educational path that we did was to have more diverse relationships in our life and um, especially for our, for the kids themselves. But I mean, I really think, I know this is going to sound like such a churchy cop-out answer, but the day I, I came face to face with how that needed to change in our life was, you know, that day I had that conversation with Isaiah in the bathroom. And that is when I just began to pray fervently for it and you know, pray for the Lord to show me ways to befriend, but not like in a way that, Hey, I need some black friends, but like, I just need relationships and I need people who are different than me and who have different backgrounds. And, um, I mean, I don't want to like, I think you have to be so careful not to go down the path of like tokenism, you know, like I, I need my token black girlfriend, you know, it, it can't be that that's not true relationship. So, you know, we just, we just began praying and I know that sounds like such a churchy answer, but that really is what I think began the path towards more relationships, which led to more relationships, which led to some burdens for the church, which I think Mm. led to where we are today, at least on our end of things with our merged church. It began with a lot of prayers saying, Lord, help us have more relationships. That's good. I I, I think that's, I mean, I, I do think that's, I mean, Kenny and I have talked about our friendship began, I mean, in one sense, in my mind, it began with me praying for a yeah. black, you know, a black friend, a black, a black pastoral friend, right? I'm, right. I'm praying, Lord, you know, raise up a brother that's, you know, that's faithful, faithful to the gospel. And, uh, you know, and I was like, he, if he's ugly, that's okay. And so, <laughs> you know, when I saw oh, you, that man. was all right. Uh, no, um, no, I mean, and so I think Glenn is right. I mean, and I, and obviously that, um, I mean, prayer makes us more aware, you know, and, and us more willing to kind of maybe start that conversation with somebody that maybe we wouldn't have if we weren't praying, if we weren't actually looking for it or longing for it, you know. And, and I mean, it's the—I mean, my heart was ready when I heard you up there, Black Francis Chan, preaching at yes. the, you know, at the— um, Fields of Faith, At the yeah. Fields of Faith that night, I was like— I am going to talk to that brother. Right. Because I'm looking for it. You know, like I'm and 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 it's the same thing. I mean, when you came and you're trying to figure out who's the church, who's the white church that was invested in the West End. Yes. Right. I mean, because yeah. you're looking for 
you're you're open to those things, and I and I think so often we we're maybe not as intentional as we need to be. So right, yeah, it's good yeah, stuff. Good that's stuff. Really good. Well, we want to thank you, Glenna, for your time and for your wisdom and for putting up with William for yes. all Amen. these years. Um, we are thankful for your example as mm. a uh, multiracial mother and for um, just a wonderful job you do with Isaiah and, and Ian and mm. just the um, joy it is to worship and serve with you here at Grace Bible Fellowship. And so our diversity resource for this episode is actually Glenna's books that you can get on Amazon. We will put links to them um, in our podcast notes. So the books are, once again, The Promise is His Presence and Everyday Faithfulness. And they are great books. So we strongly recommend them. Know oh, I know what that means. Wait, wait, I gotta get it better. <laughs> do it again. Oh, come on, here we go, here we go, here we go. Yes, there it is, there it is. Glenna knows what sound, what what is coming next because of our faithful Pastor Kenny's uh, jingle that we have gotten a lot of fun out of. Okay, so uh, so today we're gonna give Glenna a privilege. We're going to let her ask the crazy question, and then Kenny and I have to answer it, and then we're going to make her answer it, too. So, um, so, Glenna, what is the crazy question for today? Okay. So, anytime I ever am asked, what do you do for a living or something like that, anytime I say I'm a writer, I've written some books, always always response is oh i want to write a book i could write a book someday yes. <laughs> everybody is good is an author in their head everyone so what i want to know is if you were to write that book that's in your head mm. what would it be about and do you have a title if you do you can uh, trademark it trademark a, it right now kenny's why i'm such a good looking man like, yes that, yeah. that's what it is <laughs> How I fight for humility, something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Me and Moses. <laughs> the most humble the most humble people ever live. <laughs> Me and Moses. What a great title for a book. Right. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, what what was she said, you know, about people coming up to her. Yes. I thought about like musicians have mm. people always giving them like their mixtapes yeah. and demos. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen to this, man. I've been working on this in my basement, man. Check it out. Right. It sound? It's so good. Oh, boy. No, that's not, that's not how People you do like, it. Can I get your email address, Glenna? I want to send you my book ideas. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So I'm going to ask, actually answer the question Okay, now. let's get it. So when I was um, a youth pastor in St. Louis, I, I was um, looking for a, a series to um, to teach about um, different family structures like um, blended families, yeah. um, single mothers, um, the nuclear family, things like that. I couldn't find any good resources, so I actually wrote one um, based mm. upon scripture. And so, um, like I had, it was one lesson about God's intention with Adam and Eve, and then it was mm-hmm. like, um, 
a blended family with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and all mm. that crazy situation. And then I think I did Hagar and Ishmael by themselves as a single mother. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I think I did um, Isaac and Rebecca with Jacob and Esau as right. a nuclear family, but a screwed up nuclear family because mm-hmm. they each had their favorite <laughs> twin. Mm. Right. Mm. Yes. And I think I did Jesus and Joseph for step family. Mm. And um, and then I kind of did revelations for like God's family, you know, okay. every tribe, tongue and nation. Nice. And so that was something that I wanted to develop as a book eventually. But I never got around to doing it. You should do that. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. I don't know the title. of. Oh, I, I did have a title because the series was actually titled We Are Family. And um, Sister Sledge. Yes, Sister Sledge. Yeah, I think I actually played the song. Um, played the song, and we actually danced before like each youth session. The next part of that song. Oh my god! And and, and, and now and, your podcast listeners are listening to what I have to listen right. to. Right. Man, we don't have any copyright, man. You better stop that, dude. I'm just gonna sing that line. I think you can sing like <laughs> one line. One line. Since, since I don't know the next line, I'm okay. You good? Right? You good? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And what um, I did in the series was I actually showed like. Uh, parts of episodes of popular tv shows like i think for oh no for step families guy. i did like brady bunch like a clip of the brady bunch or something yeah, like that showing film clips yeah, and movie little, clips, little clips mm, of that stuff, guy but, uh, yeah okay. all right so that was fun what about you brother i think you know and it's weird that my wife would ask this question i have you know i've, I've had several times where i've kind of thought through books or kind of wrote out some ideas and stuff um, this one I was going to write called as promises, the promises is presence. And then, uh, <laughs> no, um, I, uh, I, the, the book that I have thought about and I've thought through and thought about what I think would, would, would be good is I would, I would like to do a marriage book. Uh, Glenna says we can't write a marriage book yet because we haven't been married long enough. So we're, we're still, we're still, we're still wait, 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 on. hold up, hold up. So what is the, um, like milestone you have to reach before you can write okay. a marriage book. So in the publishing world, so we will hit 18 years this summer. Yes. But I really think in the publishing world, like tw- you got to hit 25 before yes. they'll take you seriously. Like people don't, it's like when, it's like a mom, you don't want to read a parenting book written by someone who only has infants. You know, right. like I need you to make, I need to know that you and your children survived right. raising children. Right. You got to get them out of the house at least, you know. So. <laughs> um, right. So anyway, but, but my, so my marriage book would be um, the pursuit of joy in marriage. Because I, I think what I so often see with marriage, and I, and I understand this, often marriage books are kind of geared towards people who <laughs> are struggling in their marriage or having bad, ma- you know, they're having problems or whatever. And so what what they often end up reading like is, hey, you just got to deal with, you just got to, you know, you just got to got to keep going, you know, persevere. And, and I get that. And that's obviously a message that needs to be out there. And we, we want people to, to do that. But um, you know, one of the things that Glenda and I have talked about a lot is that it seems like a lot of people don't go into marriage thinking, I need to, we've got to pursue, not just we got to pursue not getting divorced. No, we've got to pursue joy. We've actually got to pursue it and seek it. And so I think it'd be fun to kind of write a book and really talk about, okay, how do we do that? How do you pursue joy in marriage, you know, and have some different, you know, 
uh, nine marks of a great marriage or something like that. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, nah. So, no, we, you know, have some kind of, you know, just have the chapter divisions, you know, along those lines. And, and why that's so important. I mean, why that reflects, because, you know, if the, um, if the marriage relationship reflects the relationship between Christ and his church, then a bitter marriage, e- even if it lasts, is not a real good reflection. Right. So I, that's that's my thing. Maybe, you know. You can get good, Piper to write the foreword to that. Well, the good thing is, is I'm married to uh, an author, and so maybe <laughs> maybe one day we can, we got to get to 25 years. But yeah, maybe seven more years. Seven more years. Seven yeah. more years. So we got that until we can work through all that. But I, I think that would be, um, I mean, I've often thought, you know, through like book ideas with like sermon series, you know, but normally my sermons are, I mean, we're just going through books of the Bible. So <laughs> ain't nobody asking me to write no commentary. So, uh, the commentary. <laughs> yeah, nobody needs that. So anyway. All right. Well. It was great to have. No, Glenna has answered the question. Oh, yeah, that's right. We so, want to hear your answer. Glenna, what is your next book supposed to be about? Mm, well, it's intimidating. You guys had more developed book ideas than I was prepared for. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, maybe you need to be talking to some editors. Um, no, I, I actually have a book proposal in the works that I just keep closing it because... I'm just at that point where even though I've done this twice before, it's still overwhelming to start. Um, so my next book idea is um, came out of a chapter of one of, of my last book, which that book came out of a chapter of the book before that. So there's a mm. path I'm following here. Mm. But um, there is a chapter in Everyday Faithfulness titled Faithful When You Sin. And it's a chapter that outlines pretty much like what is everyday repentance look like what does repentance look like like after you've come to faith in christ but you're still fighting your sin and after i wrote that chapter i thought there's so much more i could say on this i think it's going to be its own book at one point so the idea that i'm working with right now is you know when we talk about fighting sin as christians a lot of the times the answers we give on how to fight sin are just don't sin just don't just don't do it you know or maybe have some accountability. And, you know, I think things like accountability and guardrails and things like that are very, very important, but we can't just not sin it. I read a book by, I want to say his name is Thomas Chalmers. I think he was a Puritan. I read it at the beginning of the year and he, um, it's got a great title, which I'm going to butcher, but it's about um, changing your affections. So the only way to really hate sin is to take the affection for sin and put it someplace else. And so the only way that we really fight sin effectively is by loving Jesus more deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, There's that great picture that William uses in a sermon a lot about, uh, you know, if you're going to, if you have a vase and you want to get all the air out of the vase, the only way to get the air out is not for it just to be empty, but to fill it up with something. And so sort of that idea that we can't just empty our life of sin, like a vacuum, but in fact, we fill it with something else. And I would argue that the most effective way to fight sin is to fill your life more with love of Christ. So that's the direction I hope to go. That sounds great. We're looking forward to that one. I am. Yes, that'll be good. Well, thanks so much, Glenna, for joining with us. We're glad that you did that. And uh, thanks to uh, everyone for listening, and we will catch you guys next week. God bless you. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Diversity and Fellowship Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us your questions and your comments to diversityandfellowship at gmail.com. That's diversityandfellowship at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, keep laboring by God's grace to be a faithful display of how the power of the gospel unites us in Christ.